For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. You're listening to DNA ID, brought to you by Abject Entertainment. Be sure to check out some of the other great true crime podcasts from this network, including The Murder in My Family, Missing Persons, Scene of the Crime, Zodiac Speaking, Beyond Bizarre True Crime, Citizen Detective, and Campus Killings. All of these podcasts are available for you to binge on right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe where you're listening to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. On September 8, 2002, the manager of the low-budget Time Motel in Bordertown, Nogales, Arizona, entered one of the guest rooms and observed an unmoving person on the bed. The original police reports from this incident were destroyed many years ago, so we have no information on whether a housekeeper first found the body or whether the man was supposed to check out and didn't. But anyway, the manager confirmed that the man on the bed appeared to be deceased and summoned police. Arriving first responders determined that the man was dead and that he had died recently of undetermined causes. The police sent the man's body off with the medical examiner for an autopsy and searched his room for signs of identification. They found a driver's license with the man's photo and the name Edward C. The last name has never been released. It was a Florida driver's license and the man had registered at the motel under that same name. There are no reports as to whether the deceased man had a vehicle with him at the motel, but I'm guessing he didn't, since I've never heard any mention of one, and neither had the investigators when I talked to them. But because Nogales police had a driver's license with an address on it, they contacted the local PD in Florida to ask that they track down the next of kin using the man's name and address in St. Petersburg in the Sunshine State. 
They were surprised to learn that the real Edward C. was alive and well, and had no idea that someone else was using his identity. The police investigation revealed that the dead man had obtained the driver's license in the name of Edward C. from St. Petersburg sometime earlier in the same year in which he died, 2002. He had also been arrested in Florida for an unknown offense that same year, using the name Edward C. No one knew what name he was using before that. So now Arizona authorities had a problem. They had a dead man found alone in the Time Motel room and no idea who he was. The autopsy determined that the John Doe had died on the same day he was found. His cause of death was an opioid barbiturate overdose, as evidenced by a tox report. This was a prescription that the man had for the medical condition for which he was seeking treatment in Nogales. The pathologist ruled the death an accidental overdose based on the levels of toxicity in the man's blood. A description of the man was released in hopes that someone would be missing him and call in to police. The man was white, six feet tall, 192 pounds. He was between 49 and 73 years old, quite a range. He had brown eyes and short graying hair and a trimmed gray beard and mustache. He had an eight-inch scar along his left frontal hairline, indicating some kind of past surgery. The motel manager told the investigators that he had talked to the man whose name he thought was Edward C., and the man told him that he was in Nogales because he was consulting a Mexican doctor about an unspecified surgical procedure on his head. Another clue to his identity? He was wearing a silver chain around his neck with a pendant with a C on it. At the autopsy, two things were collected that were hoped would help identify the unknown man. One was a sample of his blood. Because he died so soon before he was found, a blood sample was readily available and it was collected and retained. The second thing collected was a set of fingerprints. When police ran them, they identified the dead man as Edward C., the identity theft victim who was alive and well in sunny Florida. The inquiry into who the dead man in the motel was hit a brick wall. The Pima County Office of the Medical Examiner arranged for Nogales John Doe to be buried in a local cemetery, and the case went cold. Sometime around 2010, an STR DNA profile was extracted from the blood sample taken from Nogales John Doe and entered into the CODIS Unidentified Human Remains Database. But no one had entered DNA for any missing persons that matched. Nogales John Doe was also entered into NamUs when it was launched as UP6352, and members of the public who perused NamUs to try to match missing persons with unidentified remains contacted the Office of the Medical Examiner over the years with tips, but none of them led to the identity of Nogales John Doe. Fingerprint technology and database comprehensiveness has increased exponentially since the early 2000s when Nogales John Doe was found. Now, the FBI has what's called next-gen technology to provide computer enhancement of partial latent prints. Nogales John Doe's prints were run again using this new technology in April of 2017, and this time they matched to a man named Donald Sigurd Hadland Jr., who had been arrested in Florida sometime prior to 2002. But Donald Hadland hadn't been heard from for years. In fact, there was no paper trail leading to him. Once he had Hadland's name from the FBI report, Bruce Anderson, a forensic anthropologist with the Pima County Office of the Medical Examiner, whom I spoke to about this case, 
edited Nogales John Doe's NamUs entry to update that they had a second possible name for him and that he had an additional arrest in Florida. Unfortunately, the Florida arrest record was not accompanied by a mugshot, so no photo of Hadlin was available at that time. And because of the identification on NamUs, some industrious web sleuths became involved and dug into Donald Hadlin slash Edward C. to try to figure out his real identity. The goal was to figure out whether this guy really was Donald Sigurd Hadlin Jr., or whether this was another false name being used by John Doe. Investigators know that he stole the identities of other men besides Edward C. In 2023, Pima County authorities started a campaign to reduce the number of Jane and John Doe's they had in their jurisdiction. There are between 1,200 and 1,500 unidentified remains in Pima County, more than almost anywhere else in the country. Many of these are migrants whose identities are very difficult to determine because they're not locals. Bruce Anderson told me that his office has a reputation for being very proactive in working to identify Doe's and is known for being forthcoming with information on the Doe cases, releasing details on sites such as NamUs, and enlisting the help of the public. The Pima County Medical Examiner's Office has embarked on a partnership with the DNA Doe Project in collaboration with the Ramapo College of New Jersey to identify some of the Doe's. Ramapo has a new 15-week-long forensic genealogy certificate program, which provides training for aspiring forensic genealogists. Funding for the Pima County Doe's identifications is being provided by the Ramapo IgG Center. Nogales John Doe was one of the Doe's selected to be worked on first because a blood sample taken at his autopsy was readily available. It was relatively straightforward to create a SNP profile and move forward with forensic genealogy. Nineteen students enrolled in Ramapo's Forensic Genealogy Certificate Program actually got hands-on experience working together to upload Nogales John Doe's SNP profile to GEDmatch Pro. Karen Binder, head of the Ramapo Forensic Genealogy Certificate Program, said that the forensic genealogy analysis in this case was relatively quick. That's because in GEDmatch, the students found a very close DNA relative of Nogales John Doe, a male who turned out to be his grandson. The student genealogists were able to build a family tree from this and other lower-level DNA relatives in the database. It appeared that Nogales John Doe's name really was Donald Sigurd Hadlin Jr. But there was a snag. When the Pima County investigators approached the grandmother of the DNA relative in Jedmatch, a woman who the family tree showed had married and borne a child with this Nogales John Doe, she did not recognize the photo they showed her of the man they believed to be Donald Hadland. She said she was unable to confirm that the man in the photo, the driver's license photo of Edward C., was her ex-husband. She hadn't seen him since the 1980s, and if it was the same man, his appearance had changed. Investigators were concerned that they'd uncovered yet another stolen identity. So, they showed the wife a mugshot of Hadland from years earlier, much closer in time to the time when the ex-wife had last seen him. She then recognized it and confirmed that they had the right guy. To 100% confirm the identification, the investigators requested that Hadlin's adult son and his other grandson, both of whom had already done DNA testing through commercial testing sites, upload their profiles to GEDmatch. The uploads proved that Hadlin's son's profile was consistent with a parent-child relationship.
Nogales John Doe, a.k.a. Edward C., was definitely Donald Sigurd Hadland Jr. So what do we know about the man who died in a Nogales hotel room from a suspected accidental overdose in 2002? He was born on December 13, 1941, to parents Donald Sr. and Rose Erdia Hadland. Rose and Donald Sr. were married in their teens in 1939. Donald Jr.'s birthplace in the 1950 census records is listed as Alaska, but by 1950, he was living with his parents in Pierce in Washington State. Investigators located a 1960 yearbook photo of Hadland at the University of Puget Sound in Tacoma, Washington. It's unclear whether he graduated, but it is known that Hadland worked in the aerospace industry in and around Seattle. In September 1962, he married a woman whose first initial is P. This is the ex-wife I referred to earlier. They met when they were both students at the University of Puget Sound. They had a son together, the son whose own son had uploaded his DNA to GEDmatch that was instrumental in identifying Hadland. P. filed for divorce in 1971 after Hadland abandoned her and their child. Hadland at the time was living on 96th Avenue in Poyallup. It appears he had a brief second marriage in Washington State to a woman whose first initial is E. That marriage lasted from 1973 to 1975. After that, Hadland resided in Florida and New Mexico. His first wife, P., tracked him down in the 1980s to try to obtain back child support he owed her. That's the last time she saw him, which was why, when she was shown a photo of him from close to the time of his death, she didn't recognize him. It's unknown when or why Hadland started using the identities of other people. It's also unknown exactly what he was suffering from that caused him to seek treatment in Mexico. We know that in 2002, at age 60, he traveled from where he was living in New Mexico to Nogales to undergo a medical procedure in Mexico in order to save money. We know that he abandoned his wife and small son in the 70s, and decades later, when his son did his own DNA testing, he was doing it out of an interest in his heritage rather than in an effort to find his father, who went to his grave with secrets that are likely never to be known. Recently, I let listeners know about a new benefit available to them called an Abjack Insider subscription that's available through Apple Podcasts. An Abjack Insider subscription will give listeners ad-free access to every bit of DNA ID content published, both past episodes and future episodes. It will also give you benefits like early access and bonus content. Head over to Apple Podcasts and click on the DNA ID show page or the Abjack Entertainment channel to start a free trial. Thanks for listening to this episode of DNA ID. If you'd like to listen to the show ad-free and help support the show in the process, please head over to patreon.com slash DNA ID. And if you're interested in some fun DNA ID merch, visit the store at customizegirl.com slash S slash DNA ID podcast. To contact the show, please email us at dnaidpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on social media at dnaidpodcast on Instagram, at dnaidpodcast on Twitter, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash dnaidpodcast. Finally, if you want to visit our website, go to dnaidpodcast.com. You'll be able to get all the episodes of the show, leave comments on episodes that I can respond to, and you can even leave voicemails. You'll get all the latest news about the show and important updates. Find links to our social media, merch, and a lot more. It's really your one-stop shop for everything DNA ID. 
DNA ID is written, researched, and hosted by me, Jessica Betancourt. It's produced by me and Mike Morford of Abjack Entertainment. Music by Connor Betancourt. Check out our other collaborative podcasts, Scene of the Crime, Missing Persons, and Beyond Bizarre True Crime.